Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to be energized and have some serious fun. This is the Energetic Education Podcast. Introducing your host, Dale Sidebottom. Welcome to episode number 56 of the podcast and today I normally give quite a long introduction but I really just want to get stuck in today's podcast. Gavin McCormick is an out and out superstar. Not only is he a principal, a primary school teacher of 20 years, he is an author with four amazing books and all of that he's created and started two schools already in Nepal and he's going back as we speak while this episode is out, he is over there at the at the moment researching for a new venue to start a teacher training center. So um, I was blown away with everything I learned from Gavin's chat. And not only that, he is a master of storytelling. So this whole podcast, he does it through stories. So um, I've listened to it twice over already because I was just so fascinated and so intrigued with everything he was saying. And I can guarantee you will love it today as well. So enjoy my chat with Gavin McCormack. Gavin, thanks so much for being on the podcast. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm good, thank you very much. Just on my way to school, and uh, and we're it's really nice. A lot of my podcasts, mate. I uh, we are in different time zones, but you're in Sydney. I'm in Melbourne. It's amazing. Yeah, that's right. I actually listened to a few of your podcasts this week. They're really great. Yeah, really informative. I like them. Oh, thanks, mate. Now, I normally get a bit of a background and everything on my guests, but today, mate, I've been so impressed with everything you've produced and I've read about you and everything like that. I'm I'm just going to get straight in and crush it here. You've created schools in Nepal. You're going back in a couple of days and hence why uh, you're in the car at the moment. You're such a busy man. You're a principal. You're an author. Mate, what haven't you done? Uh... (laughs) Uh, there's a lot I haven't done, yeah, and it sounds like a lot, but, you know, uh, it's just part of, you know, the drive. I, I, I guess if you want to make a change, then you've got to work really hard to do that. And, uh, you know, luckily for me, it's all entwined within education, so I'm not reaching into different branches like, I guess, you know, your Richard Branson's of the world who've got aeroplanes and got rail traffic and all this kind of stuff. I'm just focusing on what I'm good at and teaching's that, so... It seems to be going from strength to strength, uh, and I'm enjoying every minute of it, yeah. Mate, that's it's amazing, and um, you, you sent me, I read this article about the, the school that you've created in Nepal, I'm, I'm fascinated with this, can you can you tell us a little bit more about this, and for the listeners, um, just exactly how you've gone about creating your own school for the people of Nepal? Um, so, well, it's a bit of a long story, but I, I'll cut it down, obviously, for your listeners, Um I, um, obviously, I've been a teacher about 18 years, and last year I um, decided to take a sabbatical just for a couple of months. I'm a climber, so I do a lot of climbing, and, uh, you know, I've always wanted to go to the Himalayas. So I thought to myself, you know, why don't I go to the Himalayas, but not just make it a, you know, a holiday and a, and a pleasure for myself? Why don't I do something, uh, you know, give something back, as it were? Um, and I also lecture at Western Sydney University, you know, Wednesday evening, I lectured down there on uh, teaching pedagogies and, and the installation of writing in the curriculum. So I thought, you know, I'd go over to Nepal and do some uh, teacher training. Um, now, it's a really funny story because I was having a coffee in Glebe, where I live, one Saturday morning, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to the Himalayas. And I just I opened Google Maps and I typed in, I'm a Montessori teacher, so I typed in Montessori, Nepal, and uh, up comes, uh, you know, Montessori school. So I just called it. And uh, I said, hello, you know, and this man, uh, hello, how are you? And I said, oh, you know, I'd like to come, I'd like to come over. 
uh, and, and do some teacher training over at your center. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we'd be so happy to have you. That's amazing. Thanks so much. When are you coming? And I said, you know, I'm coming uh, on Monday. And he said, oh, wow, it's only Saturday. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm, I said, I haven't booked a flight yet, but I'm going to book it today. And if you say yes, I'm, I'm going to book it. I'm on my way tomorrow. And he said, oh, my God, we'd be so happy to have you. Please come. And I said, okay, great. So I booked my flight. Sunday, off I went. And I flew to Bangkok. And uh, I had a stop over there. When I stopped over, I got the internet, and then I got an email from him saying that uh, he'd got his dates wrong, and uh, his school was closed on, on Monday, <laughs> and it was closed for a month. <laughs> so I'd, I, you know, I had a 60 kilos, uh, 70 kilos worth of teaching materials, you know, books, pencils, all that kind of stuff, and I was on my way. And I thought, please tell me you're joking, but he wasn't joking. So uh, I, I just got to the hotel and I, I did the same again. Google Montessori School, Nepal. I pressed number two instead of number one. Called him up. The same response. Uh, a lovely man, Anand, answered the phone. Who I'm not very good friends with, and, and he uh, he was like, I said, when are you coming? I said, I'm on my, I'll be there in five and a half hours. <laughs> and, <he's> like, <laughs> uh, and he was over the moon, you know, he's absolutely over the moon. So I went, uh, I went there, but we'd got our wires crossed and his training center. It wasn't a school in the end. It was a it was a center to train women, and basically, I, I just by sheer fluke had landed on my feet because this man had opened a teacher training center in Kathmandu for women who were struggling uh, in the world. You know, they were in relationships, they wanted to leave, they couldn't get out of it. They were, you know, they were really struggling with life, and he was giving them an occupation and a lease of life that allowed them to to basically, you know, move on and, and survive. Um, and uh, I, you know, essentially asked me, can you train my teachers? I've opened this place, but I actually don't know how to train them. I'm just doing the best I can. And luckily, you know, uh, that's what I do. So I said, you know what, this is just a, this is a miracle. So off we went and uh, trained a couple of hundred women uh, over the period of three, the three months that I was there. We all became really close friends. And at the end, uh, you know, it was obviously amazing. One of the, um, one of the fathers of one of the women came to see me and said, you know, look, I, I I'd love you to come to our village for the weekend. I want to say thank you to you. You've really done a, a great deed here. Uh, and so I was really excited to go because, you know, it was going rural uh, Nepal where no one's ever been. And, and off we went. And he, he offered me all this land in his village as a gift. And I obviously didn't take it because what am I going to do with 6,000 square meters of <laughs> on the Indian border? <laughs> but it came. It was a kind of a loaded gift. You know, he said... Um, I, I said, I can't take it. You know, I can't take this land. What am I going to do with it? It's your land. It's rice fields. I'm not going to come back and harvest it and, you know, sell the rice. So he said, you know, please build a school on the land. You know, we need a school. And I thought, oh, okay, here we go. This is a, this is a gift within a gift. So I, thought, <laughs> I just thought, I can't do that. You know, I just can't build your school. I can't even put a shelf up in my house without it being a disaster. So I, um, I, I said no. But then I spent a week with him down in his village, and I realized how lovely the people were and how poor they were and how they had nothing. And I said to him, if you can find me a building that's derelict, I'll change it into a school, but I can't build one. So he found one, you know, and uh, then I came back to Australia. I ran the city to surf and the Sydney Half Marathon dressed as a granny, which I've done for the last 10 years. Uh, and I raised about four, about $24,000. Um, and then I went back over there with the cash. And then we changed that building into a school and we opened it and the mayor of uh, that district of Nepal came, Noel Parasi, it's called, he came along, he made the national headlines, and the school had 12 children, it's now got 112, and it was amazing. Uh, anyway, not to stop there, but then I got addicted to this, so the feeling was so good when I opened that school, I, I can't even explain it, um, that I came back, and I thought, you know what, I, I'm doing this again, and I got back to Australia, and then I was inundated with requests from people in the Himalayas saying, 
we need a school. We haven't got a school. Please come to us. And, <laughs> and so I, I had a, I went back uh, in September. So I've been in, I've been in uh, March. I went back in July to build the school. I went back in September to have a look at a few villages and see who needed it the most. Found a village up called um, Tullidar, which is a place called Carvery up near Mount Everest. The most beautiful place you've ever seen in your life. Um, came out to Australia, raised 30 grand, went back there and opened that school on Christmas Day. We built that from the ground up, just a, a bit of grass. We built an entire school. And it was really amazing. And on Christmas Day, um, you know, it's just me on my own, really. We, we went and cut the ribbon, opened a school, and now it's going, it's thriving. And uh, I'm heading back on Saturday this week because I, you know, I'm just, it's obviously crazy, but I'm just addicted to this. And so I'm going one bigger now. I'm going to uh, build a teacher training center in Kathmandu. So build a, a state-of-the-art center in Kathmandu, and uh, then we're going to uh, train all the teachers of, of Nepal to come along and get the best type of education they possibly can. Now, I'm not going to do the training. I'm going to train six or seven of these women I've already trained previously to be trainers, and then they'll run it. It will be a center for women, run by women, no men at all in the entire vicinity, because as soon as you drop a man in there, it seems that it gets a little bit corrupt, and I, and I want to keep that out of it. That's a bit of a generalization, but it seems to be the case in the Himalayas. Well, Gavin, that that is an amazing story, mate. And what you're doing is, I, I'm just, I'm in awe. That's it makes uh, <laughs> it makes people like myself think, geez, what am I actually doing in the world? You're you're no, creating no. schools, and you're doing a, a training course. And and what I want to mention to everybody out there, you're actually a principal of a school in New South Wales. Yeah, over in Manly, um, on uh, the peninsula over there, yeah. Um, and I, you know, just to, for your listeners, you know, it's not as if I don't work, uh, I work. And, uh, and in the holidays I do this, so when that bell rings this Friday, I'm at the airport immediately and I'm gone and I'm back before school opens. So in the holidays I'm, I'm there and I come back and it's back to work. And uh, it's a really weird parallel universe because I'm also a teacher, so I also teach a couple of days a week, so... You can get the situation where you're in class, sitting with your group, going, hey, guys, now we're going to learn all about the Triassic period and dinosaurs. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I hope those laborers over at Mount Everest are actually pulling those bricks and not drinking tea. You know, I, so it's a really bizarre but amazing. It's really amazing, you know, to think like that. And, yeah, it's, it's uh, been an unbelievable 12 months, I can't tell you. It's been remarkable. Oh, I'm just sitting here and I'm, I've got some questions for you and I don't know where to start now. But what I want to do just before I go on for the next questions, Gavin, if people are fascinated like I am, and I, I've already spoke to you about ways that maybe I could contribute to help train the teachers and um, the trainers and everything like that, if teachers are listening out there and they'd like to donate some money or some resources or their time or anything like that, is there a way they can contact you to sort that out? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I think when I went over there at Christmas, I took 812 kilos with me. I checked. When I went to, I flew with China Southern Airlines. And they're amazing, by the way, if you wanted to ever take luggage overseas. Uh, I, I rung them and they said, you know what, well, you can, uh, it's a charity, bring as much as you want. So I nearly took a ton on the plane. With no, they didn't charge me a penny. You know, the lady's really funny. The woman said, any bags to check in? I said, 27 suitcases. And they were all, <laughs> and they were all filled with, I mean, they lost them, actually. They lost them. I got them back, but they, they, it was quite funny. Uh, my baggage never turned up. Anyway, but they, um, yeah, they, they were filled with teaching resources. And most of them were just donated by, by friends or teachers I know. And I, look, I have a Facebook page because I write children's books as well. I know it sounds crazy, but I write children's books as well. And my name's Gavin McCormack. And if you just look on Facebook at books by Gavin McCormack, You'll find my page there, and all the information's on there about 
the Himalayas, about my books, about fundraising. And if, you know, there's opportunities for teachers to come over to the Himalayas and help. There's also opportunities for teachers to go over there and do placements or do volunteer work. Um, and, you know, it's hard to find good volunteer work now because the reality is that when you try to look online, there's lots of companies and they're charging you. So they say, hey, we'll pay us $1,000 and you can come and volunteer in this school. I don't really get that or really believe in that. And, and so if teachers are interested in going over and do some volunteer work, then obviously they won't have to pay a penny. They'll just go and pay their flights and I can put them in a school. I'm you know, very, very well acquainted over there now with all the educators. So work in a school or you know, a university for a period of weeks with no charge whatsoever. So if, if your listeners do want to get in touch, then Books by Gavin McCormack is the right place to find me. No problem. Perfect, and, and I was going to uh, get onto that because I have looked into Sergio the Penguin, one of your, your main books, and I was fascinated about the story behind it. And one of the main reasons, Gavin, I've got you on today is I think storytelling is the most amazing way to teach and fascinate. And like, I've been sitting here in awe, and I'm sure my listeners are the same today after your story so far. So let's get straight into it, mate. And, um, you know, uh, the um, Are These Your Glasses is the book that I've sort of looked into. And that's sort of come from um, about inclusion and um, being sort of bullied. Is, is that sort of where that book came from? Yeah, look... Uh... Um, as a child, I was, I, my mum was a single mother. My father left uh, before I was born. And uh, it was just me and my mum, really. And uh, I lived with my granddad, and he was a, a storyteller. So we used to hang out all day and, you know, walk around and tell me stories. I mean, most of them were made up, but they were, most, they were amazing. You know, he built all the houses in the entire country, apparently. But, you know, it was, uh, he was a builder, and he used to tell me these fascinating tales about himself. I know now none of them were true, but they were really inspirational. And, um, you know, then I was a teacher. I, well, before that, I was a, a student, obviously. And because I was from a very poor family, uh, my mum struggled, you know, to, to make ends meet. And, uh, you know, she, um, she tried her best. And one thing she did was she moved to a village in Leeds in the northern, north of England. Uh, it was really wealthy, called Horsford. A lot of people are multimillionaires there. And so she moved there. So we'd be in the, in the district uh, of a nice school and we'd be able to attend. But... And that sounds great until you're the really poor kid in a really rich school. And that was me. And, you know, my trousers were half-masked. I had holes in the knees. I was wearing the shoes that were too small for me, all that kind of jazz. And, you know, being, being 12 and 13 in high school in Northern England is not easy in the, you know, at any, for anyone, especially when you're in that scenario. And, and that was it. You know, I, I was a target for a couple of years. And, you know, it wasn't physically beaten, but, you know, emotional bullying is just as bad. And I felt terrible. It really it didn't strike a good chord with me. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that feeling still resonates with me now. It's still, I can still feel how bad it felt. And I'm 39 now. I'm a grown man. But um, I, I know the impact of that. And then I was working over in Lakemba in, uh, in Western Sydney in the Islamic um, community for 10 years, actually. When I first came to Australia, I decided to work in the Islamic community for a long time. So I thought... They were the underdogs over here in Australia. I'd looked in the news over here, and I was really shocked about how they were treated and portrayed. So I thought, I'll work there, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do good for them. I'll go and, and sing their song and try and put them on the mark. And uh, I met a little boy called Safwan. He was, uh, it was in my class. And, you know, it was a, he was me. He was me, but it was, you know, it was 20 years later, and, and nobody would talk to him. He was poorer than the other kids, and he was from Bangladesh. Everybody else was from Lebanon, and... Uh, you know, I felt for him, but I, I made it my mission to empower him. And the year that he was in my class, I, uh, I did exactly that. You know, I, I built up his confidence, gave him the skills to be able to 
communicate, made the other children respect him through his actions, not forced respect. And I started to see him grow, and he started to stand a bit proud, and the children started to respect him. And I thought, I wish someone had done that for me, but they didn't. Um, so I, it felt great to do that. And at the end of the year, we had this ceremony uh, as the children were graduating. It's the, the most improved uh, and the, uh, the highest achiever. And, uh, you know, my most improved was him. And it, and it wasn't it wasn't because he'd improved academically, because he'd improved, you know, as a human being. He really started to feel that he was he, he had some self-worth now. And then it was just the most remarkable moment. In the hall, there were 700 kids. There were 500 parents. The, uh, Tony Burke was there, the minister for, um, he was the minister for the education at that time. And it was an amazing moment because I said, you know, my most improved, Safran Satar. And then in the middle of the hall, he stood up. And he stood there while the clapping stopped in about two minutes. And everyone looked at him and he walked onto stage. He took the microphone out of my hand and he pulled this letter from his pocket that he'd written. By the way, this child had never spoken in front of a crowd in his life. He pulled this letter out of his pocket and he read it to the hall. And it was like, dear Mr. McCormick, you know. And it was basically a thank you letter. And it had comedy and everyone was laughing. Everyone was laughing and they were crying, you know, and I was crying. It was, it was an amazing moment. And then uh, that night I said, I'm going to write a book about you. And I wrote a book about this story. And what do you want me to call the main character? And he said, you can please call it Sergio. So then he graduated. I wrote the book. And the book's all about, the book's all about inclusion. It's really all about if you see somebody who you know is being left out or you're not, not included by the group, and then it's your job to give them that chance. And uh, anyway, it's been a really great book. It's been, uh, been on the, uh, I was nominated for Australian Author of the Year last year because of that book. I didn't win, but it was amazing to be nominated. So yeah, that, that, and I've, I've written four books at this point. I'm writing seven, one on each continent. And they're all to do with kindness, friendship, inclusion. You know, there's one coming out this year about, um, not judging people by, by how they look. It's about refugees, really. It's about a goat that's bullied by a, a buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, that's a, firstly, congratulations. That's uh, what you were able to achieve with that, that one student. And then not only that, but uh, I was only able to find one of these books about Sergio the Penguin, and I'll have a link to um, arethesyourglasses.com, which is the website for that. But also I'll have a link for your Facebook page as well with the rest of your books because I'm sure that people will be like, wow, I'm really loving that story and I want to look into it more. And I know you can go on there and buy your books and everything like that. And Gavin, one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on today is because um, I've followed you on LinkedIn and um, as I do, I, I like reading about teachers and what they're doing and everything like that. But you are the master of storytelling and for listeners they're probably already like yes I can tell that from just the two stories I've already told about Nepal um, and then about the student you made such an impact with um what where, I know that your your grandfather really helped you with that and he was a great storyteller but what what are some tips to mastering storytelling because I could listen to you all day mate well you know that's the thing you see that's why I became a Montessori teacher because uh, Montessori is all about uh, sitting with a group and and you turn everything into a story and basically you don't give all the facts away you just basically tell a story and then you say to the children right I've given you part of the story now your job is to go and find out the rest and then tell it in your own words and so uh, look some of the obviously you know when you're telling a story uh, it depends who you're telling it to number one and number two it depends what you're talking about but you know I find that one of the greatest things you can ever do is you know play your audience you know you've got to Make sure you know where your audience is sitting. I mean, I've stood in front of a thousand children before and told a story that it's been an absolute shocker. You know, <laughs> I can see this is going down terribly. Uh, and, you know, if it's not working, 
then, you know, my grandfather always said to me, look, use storytellers license. And what storytellers license is, according to him, is if it's not working, then just spice it up. Add, <laughs> add something to it that will make it work, even if it's not even. It doesn't have to be true. Just make that story work. <laughs> so I, I've done that many times before because, uh, you know, I stood in front of many, many children and think, oh, this is going down like a leg balloon. I've really got to, you know, I've really got to spice this up to suddenly a dragon turns up or, you know, I fall down some stairs or something to make the children <laughs> laugh and enjoy it. But, you know, being a teacher for 20 years, you know, I've, I've got some amazing stories about children, you know, some of the stuff, you know what children are like, some of the things that they say, you know, oh. it's hilarious, right? Because they, they come out with some absolute corkers. <laughs> It, uh, I think it's, it's one of those things I always remember when I was in the classroom that um, you sometimes wish that you had another teacher with you there to listen to it because you're like, this is outrageous. It's the most bizarre, funny experience of my life, but I can't share it with anyone and these kids don't understand. And um, I, I wish I had started writing these stories down because probably like yourself, you could have the best book. And I know other teachers say that to me as well, that I wish I had recorded some of these things because they are just fascinating what these kids come up with. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's fascinating what they, you know, it's what they know and what they take from you. Like, it's amazing how they replicate everything you say. They remember everything you've ever said. And, you know, that you've got to be very careful as a teacher what you say in class <laughs> because everything will be recorded by their mind and regurgitated at the dinner table later. But, you know, there's been occasions where I've been sitting with a group and we've been having a lesson and I've, I can't, I'm crying because I can't stop laughing at what a, I mean, the other day I was teaching about the human skeleton and I had a small group of children sitting around me and I had a skeleton in front of me and I made a skeleton out of, you know, earbuds. You, if you cut those earbuds up, they look like little bones. And it's a really good tip for teachers actually out there. If you cut earbuds up, they look like little bones and you can build a skeleton out of them. So I built the skeleton and I have a little group of six-year-olds. I said, so what do you know about the skeleton? And this little girl said, I know something about your skeleton. I said, you know, the one I'd made. I said, what do you know? She goes, it's definitely a man. It's definitely a woman. I said, how do you know it's a woman? And she said, it hasn't got a willy bone. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, we're all laughing and I'm crying and I can't carry on teaching because... But, you know, that's part, of the, that's part of the game. But, you know, storytelling, it, it, it's a, it has an amazing... I always tell my children in class, I say, when you, when you come to a lesson, when you've had the story, the best thing you can ever do is on the way home in the car or when you're sitting at the dinner table later, tell the story to somebody else. And, you know, the, the one thing I... The, the, re, the way I gauge a good story is not if the children come back... Because I often tell a story at school and just stop and say, oh, we're out of time... We'll continue tomorrow. And I think, look, it's gone. No, my God, no, please, tomorrow. I can't wait to finish the story now. And, and the, the way I gauge a good story is not if the kids come in and ask for the story. It's if the mum and dad's dropping off the kids in the morning and dad says, hey, by the way, what happened to that cat in the story? Cause it's <laughs> and you know it's a cracker because little Tommy's gone home and told it around the dinner table. And then dad's like, you know what? Actually, I want to know the end of that story as well. So that, I always use that as a good gauge of whether it's a good story or not. I think that's, that's always a good thing. If, you, if you've got parents inquiring about things you're doing in your lesson, then um, yeah. I think that's the best endorsement for what you're doing. So one, yeah. of, one of the things I was fascinated as well with um, the farmhouse school, that the principle of it, um, I love the school philosophy is to teach respect for ourselves, others, and the environment, um, a life of love, long of learning and independence. Now, there is... I, as a, not many of my listeners will probably know this, but as a child from uh, grade prep to grade six, I went to a Steiner school. My school was on a farm and um, it was really big emphasis on, you know, being creative. And I was quite loud, Gavin, as a kid, and that was my strength. I wasn't told to be quiet and things like that. Is that sort of the philosophy at your school? Because it, 
it seems quite different than the normal uh, sort of primary education sector. Yeah, look, it's a little bit different. It's, it's not Steiner, in fact. I know quite a few of the Steiner principals around, uh, around New South Wales. So uh, Montessori often gets pooled with Steiner as a kind of alternative. Um, they are alternative, but they're very different in the way they run. So the way that Montessori runs is um, it runs along the national curriculum, just like, just like any school would do. Um, but it's a delivery of the lessons. I mean, it's, it's a very, very big subject to go into, but I'll just in brief just explain it. So the way it would work is we, in a class, we wouldn't have one age group. So we don't have year three or year four, or year five. We have a class with year three, four and five all in one room. And the way that works is, um, you know, the year fives are the leaders and basically they're the most mature. And they show the year fours how to run and how to be independent. And the year fours show the year threes. And then, you know, we've, we never have a case of bullying ever. It just doesn't happen because that leadership's already instilled. The hierarchy's already in place. Um, but the teaching side of it is uh, is really, really fascinating. And, you know, I've just finished a, a diploma in Montessori education as a qualified Montessori teacher. And, you know, it's really amazing because the way it would work, imagine this. Imagine a class all working. They're all busy. And you stand at the front. You ring a little bell. Ding, ding, ding. All the kids stop because They've been at school since they're two, and that's instilled in them as a, as a kind of rule. When you hear the bell stop and listen, so they all stop and listen. You say, by the way, guys, I'm just about to give a presentation down here on Jupiter. If anyone's interested, I'll come over to the carpet. Some kids think, oh, you know what? I'm not really interested in Jupiter. I'm going to continue with my story or my maths. But some kids are like, you know what? I'm going for this. So they come over. You might have six or seven kids in your presentation. You say, you do your presentation about Jupiter, which is based around story uh, and based around, uh, you know, research for the children. And then you give them a week and say, guys, in a week, I want you to come back with some follow up on Jupiter. And they can represent it however they want. They want to build a model. They want to write a report. They want to paint something. They want to interview somebody. They can. But a week later, they come back and then you say, OK, guys, what have you got? And then they become the teachers. They teach the whole group about their expertise. You know, a really amazing example of that is the human heart. I was teaching the human heart. So to children, we're going to learn about the human heart. Here's a few facts. Here's the aorta. Here's the pulmonary artery. Here's what it does. And I pulled over this cloth and I had about seven lamb's hearts I bought from Coles on, uh, <laughs> on, a, on a bowl. The kids are like, whoa, my God. And some kids wanted to pick them up and sniff them and put their fingers in their aorta and cut them up. And some kids were repulsed. But every kid took something away from that. You know, their emotions and their, their senses were really, uh, you know, enlightened by that. But then a week later, they all came back with their research. One kid had built a papier-mâché version of the heart to scale. One kid had interviewed his uncle, who was a doctor, about how a heart attack occurs. And a week later, they all became the teachers. And I was just a facilitator of a meeting. And then you do that six or seven times a day throughout the whole education uh, of the child. So it's all facilitated by them. They're the ones who basically, they're the ones who facilitate their own learning. And it's on their level. They're the ones who choose what they want. But at the same time, you're the person who is directing them and negotiating to make sure that they're, you know, on par with the curriculum, as it were. But look, I... Since I've been doing it for the last four or five years, uh, there's no way I can go back. I can't go back to being mainstream. But I am working with Western Sydney University to try to put something together, uh, a mainstream and Montessori clash, you know, something half-half. I think that would be the dream scenario for me for a school. So, yeah, look, it's an amazing, it's an amazing pedagogy and it works amazingly well.
Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And as I, as I said, the school I went to, we had 30 kids in it. And I remember I had, there was grade prep one, two, and three in a class. And then it'd be four, five, and six in another. There's only two classes in the school. And, and I totally agree that um, I remember being in grade six and some of my good mates were in grade one. You'd go to their birthday parties and things like that. And bullying was never something I experienced until I went to a high school with over a 1,000 kids. And I yeah. think there's something about that that um, we need to represent in all schools because it really stamps it out by giving kids ownership and leadership and taking that role as a teacher and I think the creativity and the play aspect of what you are doing at your school is fascinating and I I love the sound of it Gavin I'd love to come check it out one day mate but um just I know how busy you are mate and yeah you've got so much on your plate and I know you've got to go run a school today um what if you've got one tip for a teacher out there on dominating a story um i know you've given a few but if just one i just want to finish the the interview with something like that mate one golden tip from gavin okay one tip from me to dominate so to get your class on board is okay the story has to be about you 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 as the teacher children love to know that you're a real human right so they love to know the fact that you don't live in the art cupboard and you know (laughs) That you uh, that you're a real person, you know. You go to the supermarket and you and you live your life. You're you're a real human being. I mean, as a teacher, you bump into children sometimes in the street, and they just yeah, where at school they're really loud and raucous, and like, ah, you know, how are you? When you see them out of school, they hide behind their mum and they're cowering. Oh my God, it's a teacher in the supermarket. They're petrified, you know. So my one tip is that when you're telling a story to the children of your class or or, or any group, uh, put yourself in the story. I mean, I've got thousands of stories I've traveled around the world a couple of times and i've got thousands of stories and the kids they hang on every word because you're in it you're the person and if if a story is not about you then put yourself in the story you know you just just have to pretend that you're in it and then i guess when you're in it and when you're telling the story you know you can describe everything perfectly because you were there and you can tell it with passion because you were the one who lived it um i mean one of the most famous stories that children love from me is the time that i had a class of year twos and uh, we had an incubator filled with eggs that I got from the local farmer. We're waiting for them all to hatch. And uh, the kids are all there, all year twos, you know, five and six-year-olds. And uh, they're really excited about that. We had, you know, the, the eggs were hatching. And one little kid uh, is over in England. This, uh, I put him in charge of, he was in charge of temperature. It was a temperature monitor. You had to look at the temperature and make sure it was always 60 and 80 degrees. So every 10 minutes, he'd come up, Gavin, it's uh, 68 degrees. Say, well done, you know, and he'd keep doing it all day then. Two days later, uh, three eggs hatched, and we had three little uh, chicks in the in the incubator there, and we named them Sunny, uh, you know, Honey, and, and Sunflower or something fluffy. I can't remember. <laughs> the kids were in love with them, stroking them. It was great. Lunchtime, I was having my lunch in the uh, staff room. You know, kids don't go in the staff room. That's one of the big rules of school. Anyway, the door bursts open, and, and he's standing there. You know, little Billy is at the door screaming. Gavin, Gavin, the incubator's on 120 degrees. So I ran to the class, and uh, the chicks, I'm afraid, were dead. They were all dead, oh. yeah, the three. And he's crying, and I said, look, it's not your fault. You get yourself on the playground. You know, I'll, um, I'll do with this. I'll, I'll bury them in the garden. And uh, so the, the, it, it sounds awful, this. Isn't it? I'm gonna put, your listeners are going to hate me for being a man. <laughs> no, I don't think that will. <laughs> so off they went. The kid, he went outside and said, don't tell anyone. We'll break it to the class when you come back. So anyway, I got them, and there was a flip lid then in the class. You know, the, the ones like, and I just... Callously and evilly, I just opened the flip lid and I just popped them in the bin. 
right? It's really bad. And the kids came in and they're all sitting down on the carpet. And I said, look, there's been a terrible accident. And they were like, what's happened? I said, I'm afraid someone has nudged into the, the temperature gauge and turned it up and I'm afraid fluffy and sunshine and honey. I'm afraid they're dead. And they're all crying tears. It was like a flood. They're all, oh my God, hugging each other. Well, I'll never see sunshine again. You know, they're all bawling. It was roaring. And I said, don't worry, guys. You know, I, at lunchtime, I buried them in the garden. They've gone to chick heaven. We've got 78 more eggs to hatch. So we'll just make sure we take care of those ones. Don't worry. And, you know, one kid said, can I say a prayer? It wasn't a religious school. Can I say a prayer? He said a prayer. We prayed for him to go to heaven. It was all great. But they're in the bin, really. And uh, anyway, class went on. The kids forgot all about it, as kids do. And they're all working away in the afternoon. I'm working with a little group. And then this one boy, he's out in the bin, sharpening his pencil. And he's like, uh, Mr. McCormack, I can hear a noise coming out of the bin. I was like, sorry? He goes, I can hear a noise. He's pointing in the bin. I was like, oh, my God. Please don't. And then, before I could do anything, he pulled it in his hand. He had little sunshine, or one of them, and it had pencil sharpenings all on his head, and it was alive. Then he had all three, and he goes, they're alive! And then there was this amazing celebration. Everyone's dancing, and we're all happy, and I'm thinking, this is great, until one little girl, she's standing in the middle of the carpet, arms folded, really angry, and then she points right at me, and all the kids stop in silence. She said, you're a liar. And uh, I said, and then they're all worried because they're calling me a liar because I said I'd buried him in the garden. But I hadn't buried him in the garden, really. I'd thrown him in the bin. And uh, I said, you know, it's a good job I didn't bury him in the garden because he would have been buried alive now. You know, this is fate. Anyway, I got so many complaints from parents about what I'd done. And, you know, the, it, but it, because it's a real story and it involves kids and it involves school, when I tell that to a class, they absolutely love it. They love it so much. And I always stop, you know, way before the end. You know, way before the end, I stop. I say, we're out of time. Let's go home, guys. And the kids next day like, what happened to the chicks? But, yeah, uh, you know, make it real. Put yourself in the story and, and you, you win. It's easy. I love that, Gavin. And um, for people out there, um, I know a lot of my listeners uh, would use LinkedIn. Um, follow Gavin McCormack because he's always providing stuff from Nepal. Um, there's a really, I love the checklist you did the other day on the five or top six points to a story, um, as well as you can go on Twitter. Literacy Today uh, is your handle. And I'm pretty sure that's correct, is it? That's right, yeah. I and mean, look, you know, I just put out yesterday. Um it went a little bit crazy on LinkedIn. I, I put together um, 1,444 of the top lessons you need to give every single child before the age of six. And I, and I think yesterday I'd, I'd sent it to 11,000 people, that list. So wow. if any of your listeners want to get that, it's basically stuff you can do. At, you don't need to be a teacher. Stuff you can do at home, stuff you can do at school. Uh, and there's 1,500 from the age of two to six. You stick it on your fridge and you just take them off as a mum. You know, we're going to do this. Let's take it up. And, and basically, it prepares your child for school. So if any of your listeners want that, they can jump on there and it's available for free. Done. So, yeah, go on and uh, look up Gavin McCormack. I'll, I'll have a link as well for your LinkedIn in there. Um, AreTheseGlassesYours.com is where you can check out uh, Sergio the Penguin because, obviously, as I've, I recommended from what I've read about it and watched your YouTube clips and everything like that. And I suppose the big one is you can go on your Facebook page again where I've got the link to look about obviously going to Nepal because I know a lot of teachers always want to volunteer and give back but I suppose you just don't know where to go about it so from the horse's mouth himself Gavin today I think um, I'm already thinking about ways that I could help or in the future come and and do it and everything like that now Gavin good luck with your next mission Um, I'm really really stoked that you were able to fit this podcast in mate it's uh, I can imagine how busy it is and I know it is the morning for you so um, from me mate thank you very much from your time today hey my pleasure it's been a real pleasure i feel honored to be on your podcast thanks so much for putting in the effort to make sure that this happened because i know uh, 
yourself, you know, we're all very busy people in this world. So I feel uh, honored to be able to speak to your listeners. And thanks so much for the opportunity.